0: Hello, this is Congressman Jim Clyburn, and I would like to welcome you to my podcast, Clyburn Chronicles. I've always been a lover of history. I see this platform as a way to connect history with the politics of today. This is so important because as George Santiano once said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it each episode, my guest and I will have a conversation about the lessons of the past, the politics of the present, and how we must learn from those experiences to help shape the future. Thank you for taking time to listen, and welcome to Clyburn Chronicles. This is Congressman Jim Clyburn, and this is another episode of Clyburn Chronicles. This is Black History Month, and I'm pleased to welcome a guest, Congressman Stephen Horsford of Las Vegas, Nevada. Congressman Horsford is chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. And together today, we're going to discuss some of the pressing issues affecting the black community, our representation, the culture of policing, gun violence, and much, much more. But before we get into our discussion, I want to tell you a little bit about Congressman Stephen Horsford. He is a native of Nevada and has served the great state of Nevada and the Las Vegas community in a multitude of capacities throughout his life. For more than a decade, Congressman Hossford was, was the CEO of the largest job training program in the state of Nevada, the Culinary training academy, which helped place thousands into hospitality jobs in the state. Congressman Horsford made history as Nevada's first African-American state senate majority leader, where he helped spearhead the charge of making Nevada a leader in clean energy by passing the Clean Energy Jobs Initiative. A proud representative of Nevada's 4th Congressional District, Congressman Hosford was elected chairman of the Congressional Black Caucus for the 118th Congress last month. Now, all of that or, or the things that all of us could be proud of. But I want to say something else about Stephen Hosford because uh, those of you who have tuned in uh, to these chronicles over the years know that I often say that it's not just the successes that make the person. It's how a person bounce back from setbacks. As all of you know, I often talk about the fact that I lost three times before I got elected. But I didn't give up uh, because uh, I learned at a very early age. An adage that my parents and grandparents taught me, if at first you don't succeed, try and try again. They didn't say try one more time or two more times or three more times. No uh, hysterical numerical uh, limit on how many times you should try. Now, in this instance, Congressman Horsford, when he ran for Congress the first time, he won. However, when he ran for re-election, he lost. But he did not give up. He did not let that loss define him. He bounced back from that loss. He got elected, re-elected to Congress, and he is now chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. And I might add, he got elected chair of the caucus unanimously. Why? Because not only did he know how to win, but he knew how to lose and bounce back from the loss. And so I want to thank him for being here today. And I may have said more about him than he cared for me to say, but I think I've left a lot unsaid that he can share. So Steve, thank you for being with us. And let me ask you to share with my listeners anything you wish to share as we approach uh, the last part of Black History
1: Month. Well, thank you. uh... Leader Clyburn, it's an honor to be on uh, the Clyburn Chronicles, Uh, this is uh, quite uh, an opportunity for a young uh, representative like myself and thank you for this opportunity and, as you said, there are lessons in losing. I learned a lot from that loss in 2014 uh, to my Congressional uh, district in the community that I was born and raised in Uh, but as you and others have reminded me sometimes a setback. Is a setup for a comeback. And I'm honored to be serving this district um, once again, to reclaim the district that I previously represented and to have the honor to serve my constituents. Uh, my district covers nearly 50,000 square miles throughout Nevada. Uh, I have a part of Las Vegas, a part of what is known as North Las Vegas, uh, which is the kind of the bedroom community to Las Vegas but I also have a lot of central rural Nevada communities. In fact, they're, we call them frontier counties because they're so remote and distant. And like you, I've learned um, how to reach, talk to, listen to constituents from all walks of life, uh, people regardless of background, whether they voted for me or not, uh, to have the honor to represent them in the US House of Representatives is is the honor of my life. I also now get a chance to represent as the chair of the Congressional Black Caucus uh, in our 51st year, um, 57, soon to be 58 members of the Congressional Black Caucus, which represent again, a diversity of ideology, of political perspectives, of region, regional representation, and lived experience. And to have that chance along with you and others uh, to help lead our communities forward is a great uh, opportunity. And I'm very delighted to be uh, chair of the Black Caucus and to be on your Clyburn Chronicles to talk about our work. Well,
0: thank you, thank you, thank you. I uh, uh, often share uh, your experiences with people as I travel around the country, and I thank you so much uh, for staying in the game, bouncing back from the loss, and now leading me and fifty-six others, and like you say, soon fifty-seven others, because I'm sure that Jennifer McClellan is going to win her election on the 28th of uh, of this month, uh, and. Uh, fill the seat that our late friend Don McEachin held. Now, one of the things that um, uh, is occupying much of your time these days happens to be uh, the whole issue of gun safety, gun violence, uh, violence, uh, what you have so ably called um, what we call it
1: Public safety Elizabeth. and accountability. what you call it? Public safety and accountability for everybody. That, that's it. Explain that to my listeners. Well, Mr. Clyburn, as you know, um, the issue of violence is not immune to our community, the Black community. Um, we've each been affected in our own way, whether it's been through gun violence, recent incidents around police uh, violence that's occurred, other forms of violence. And what we've said as a Congressional Black Caucus is all of our communities should be safe. Um, public safety is important to all of us and accountability should be in place for those who um, violate the public good in their role, especially in law enforcement. Uh, for me, you know, I have a personal, um, experience with gun violence. My father was shot and killed when I was 19 years old. I was a freshman in college. Um, Like so many families, I got that call that a loved one uh, has been shot and he died on the way to the hospital. Um, I never got a chance to say goodbye or to tell him I loved him or for him to see me finish school or start a family, raise three children or go on to serve in my capacity as a member of Congress. So um, you never get those moments back. um, And that is something that we collectively have been working on as the Congressional Black Caucus to eradicate gun violence. But we also have been working to advance the issue of public safety and accountability in law enforcement. Uh, We had the recent event of Tyree Nichols, um, who was murdered by five Memphis police officers, um, and what we all can see on video never should occur anywhere in America. Bad policing, we should all agree, has no place in America, and all of us should work towards making our community safer. I know that you have constituents who joined with us at the State of the Union. You worked uh, to help uh, position the president, President Biden, to make very uh, intentional remarks during his State of the Union address to speak to the hearts of the American people about why this issue of police brutality matters to all of us, but particularly to Black families and to Black parents who are concerned about the well-being of their children. It was it was Leader Clyburn and, and Senator Warnock who helped the President understand this the, the the phrase the talk that we have to give to our young people. And that is something the president heard and and brought into that speech during the State of the Union. And now I believe is helping to propel a whole new energy and momentum around moving police accountability, public safety and accountability reforms forward in this new 118th Congress. Well, thank
0: you so much for that. I want to my listeners to uh, know that um you reached out to Tyree Nicholson's family, his mother and stepfather, and you brought them uh, to Washington uh, to be a part of the State of the Union Address. And it was you uh, who really, uh, by example, encouraged me uh, to reach out uh, to the family uh, of... uh, The Scott family, and I brought Anthony Scott, the brother of Walter Scott, uh, up to Washington for the State of the Union, because what we wanted to do was to take an opportunity to change the narrative. People have been uh, saying this, that, and the other uh, about what we're trying to do. We're trying to make the public safe. We're trying to have accountability for policing. That's all we're trying to do. Public safety and accountability is all this is about. And as you've shared with us today, uh, I i tell people all the time the best teacher is experience. Uh, I, When I wrote my memoirs, I call it blessed experiences. And I say in the book, that all of my experiences have not been pleasant, but I've considered all of them to be blessings. It's got to be an unpleasant experience uh, to get a phone call uh, that your father has been shot to death. But you can turn those unpleasantries into blessings, and we have been blessed by your leadership. You're having that experience position you well uh, to provide leadership in this at this particular juncture. And I want to say something else about this, and I want you to respond to this. I, you know, Tyree Nichols died at the hands of five black police officers. We aren't in this battle as a racial issue. We're in this battle as an issue of accountability. And we believe strongly that accountability ought to be a watchword for all police officers. We who serve in the Congress, we are accountable to our constituents. Doctors should be accountable to their patients, lawyers, accountable to their clients. And so there's nothing wrong with a police officer being accountable to the public he or she serves. And so I applaud you for the tremendous leadership you've given uh, to this area. I also want you to talk a little bit about bouncing back, because what I want to do every time we have an episode of Clyburn Chronicles is to encourage our listeners uh, as to uh, what they can do and how they should do it uh, in order to make better choices and make uh, successes uh, out of their endeavors. Uh, Share with us a little bit of um, your experiences. Coming back to Congress, uh, getting reestablished, and then gaining... Uh, the, um, the confidence of all of these people from all over the country, to the point that they will elect you unanimously, unanimously <laughs> to be their
1: their chairman. I think I had some uh, first some great support in you, Mr. Clyburn, so I don't take that uh, lightly at all. Uh, let me first start by following up on what you were talking about on on the issue of accountability. First is without equivocation. Congressional Black Caucus supports law enforcement. We understand the need for law enforcement in our communities to keep our communities safe. The lion's share of men and women who put on the uniform every day and who go to work to serve and to protect do a a great job and an honorable job. And they wanna go home to their families at the end of their shift like anybody else. Um, What we've said is we believe that all of us should agree regardless of party, because this is not a Democratic issue or Republican issue, it's a public safety issue, that bad policing has no place in any American city, town or community. And all of us should feel safe, um, particularly for those who are sworn an oath to protect and serve. And the issue of accountability is about making sure that the profession of policing, the culture of policing improves so that those bad police incidents um, don't get swept under the carpet, so that people aren't able to move from one department to another department, so that we have a database um, of of accountability across 18,000 police departments. In Memphis, it was reported that the use of force is used three times more on black residents of Memphis than it was on white residents. Well, the only reason we know that is because they collected data but we need that type of data across all of the communities uh, in this country. We also believe in transparency of that data, that it should be made available so that uh, policymakers at the local state and federal level can make informed decisions. And finally, we believe in high standards. Like you said, Mr. Clyburn, standards in policing, like you have in standards in any other profession. And like I said, we support our law enforcement funding of the law enforcement resources and training i'm I'm meeting with my local sheriff uh here and my local police department here this week in my district to talk to them about ways that i can continue to work in partnership but that does not mean we also cannot call for accountability when there is abuse or in this case the death of uh, an individual and that's not the only one It could have been Tyree Nichols yesterday, but it could be any one of us today or tomorrow. Now, what I've learned in my tenure in public life is um, it's a sacrifice. Coming to Congress the first time when I was elected in 2012, I was the first African-American to be elected. uh, The first, but not the last. African-American to be elected to represent Nevada in our federal delegation. In 2014, I lost by just over 3,000 votes because um, I I took my eye off the ball. I didn't listen closely enough to what my constituents were saying and and some of their anxiety about what was happening at that time. We were dealing with the collapse of a housing market. We were dealing with economic... Uh, pressures here in our community. People were feeling a sense that they weren't getting ahead and they, they wanted to know what I was doing as their representative to make their lives better. So um, I lost, but I realized that that didn't mean the end of my public service. I stayed involved. I found ways to stay connected uh, here in my community in Las Vegas, but also uh, with the Congressional Black Caucus and my colleagues. And four years later, when I had an opportunity to reclaim my seat, uh, I decided after a lot of prayer uh, to run for reelection. And when I decided to run, I said, I would never take for granted the support of my constituents. I would never assume that people knew what I was doing on their behalf. And so part of what I've tried to do now in the I'm now in my third consecutive term since I've been reelected in 2018. So I've been elected, reelected in 18 or elected in 18 and 20 and 22. And um, I've learned that it's important to constantly be talking to my constituents, to be reminding them about the work that I have advanced, whether it's on gun safety reform, we passed the most comprehensive gun safety reform Uh, Congress has enacted in nearly 30 years, the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, which is very comprehensive, and it includes $250 million for the community violence intervention funding that the Congressional Black Caucus and myself helped to lead. Um, That's the largest federal investment ever into community-based interventions that we know work to stem violence to save lives and to break the cycle of violence and now we're working to um, improve public safety and accountability but we're also focused on a an array of other issues from racial equity and education in housing and healthcare. we're focused on helping small business owners and entrepreneurs get access to capital by supporting Uh, the Minority Business Development Agency, which the Congressional Black Caucus made a permanent agency for the first time in its history so that we know that they will be there to support small minority Black-owned businesses that are looking to get access to capital and access to contracting. We're working to disrupt um, the uh, the school to prison pipeline and the mass incarceration of Black people by investing more in our young people at the start of pre-K through uh, K through 12 education, all the way through college and apprenticeship. We're making housing more affordable in partnership with Secretary Marsha Fudge, a former CBC chairwoman and member of the Black Caucus who now oversees housing and urban development. And finally, we are doing more to tackle uh, the issues of health disparities by bringing down the cost of prescription drug Uh, Cost something that you, Mr. Clyburn, know greatly based on um, the issue with uh, Miss Emily and and her need for access to insulin, the fact that that's now capped at $35 for Medicare beneficiaries and a host of other things that the Congressional Black Caucus is leading on. So I want to just say thank you uh, and all of our members for doing their part in being the conscience of the Congress and pushing us forward as we um, move it forward in the next 50 years of the history of the CBC. Well, thank
0: you very much for bringing all that up. You've talked about uh, the Safer Communities Act. You've talked about uh, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, All of these are laws signed by the President. And uh, let's now go to another little thing that, um, Uh, you've raised the issue of how rural Nevada is. Uh, A lot of people think of uh, Las Vegas, Reno, that's That's Nevada. No, that ain't Nevada. I can tell you. (laughs) I've been there. And once you get, there's another town out there, Hendersonville. You get beyond Hendersonville, you know what rural is like. And that means that when we pass, and the president signed that bipartisan infrastructure law, $65 billion for
1: broadband deployment, share what that meant to your district. Well, when I leave you, uh, Mr. Clyburn, I'm going to meet uh, the FCC commissioner, Commissioner Starks. We're going to one of my housing um, developments, uh, senior housing developments, to share about what the benefits are from the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill around broadband access, specifically helping seniors and low-income individuals, people with children, get access to the internet. For the first time, we're going to literally be able to connect every household to the internet. There are parts of my district in the rural frontier areas that have zero connectivity. They cannot connect to the internet. Um, There are urban parts of my district that have access, but they can't afford the plans. We're gonna be talking about this plan that's free to individuals, they just have to sign up. Um, And I know this is happening all across the country now. You were the champion of this broadband provision that was included as part of the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill but it's helping rural communities, urban communities, white and brown and black communities, because this is about lifting up everybody. Because when everyone has access, it's gonna improve the quality of life for everybody.
0: And that's what infrastructure is all about. Everybody thinks about roads and bridges and water and sewage. all those things are important. But when we got together, those of us representing these rural communities, we said that the information highway which is what we used to call the internet, must be treated the same way that we treat the interstate highway. And we made sure that broadband be a part of that big infrastructure bill. We have not talked about chips and science, And uh, I know Las Vegas uh, has been trying to get uh, their hands on a lot of that money. In uh, the chips and science uh, bill, we've been hearing a lot about the chips part. Now, communities are waking up to the science part, the research. All that's going to go uh, into the Chips and Science Act. And we have not talked about uh, what we call the uh, uh, Rescue Plan uh, and what that's done. I'm going to tell you, uh, you're getting ready, to go, uh, getting ready to go talk about F- uh, the FCC. I sp- bit this morning with the governor of South Carolina and he is building out every home, every uh, business in South Carolina with the internet and you know how he's doing it. It's going to cost $600 million. Only a hundred million of that is coming from the infrastructure bill and another hundred million coming from the FCC that you're going to be talking to in a few minutes. 400 million of that money is coming from the rescue plan. Wow. It's there, and it can be used. So I point that out to say to my listeners today, the rescue plan provided 400 million, the infrastructure, another 100 million, the chips and science, uh, which is basically the FCC dealing, uh, you know, in the broad category of chips. That's how they do. The FCC gets their money with their uh, auctions uh, to make money uh, off these auctions, and a hundred million of that is coming from the auctions. So that's three different pots of money to do this. So I want my listeners to to understand. They said we got a problem. You don't. You just can't look in one bucket to solve that problem. Uh, we are using three big buckets now uh, for infrastructure, and that's the way it's done. Now, you know, uh, I I, I want to talk as we get to close. I don't like to uh, to hold my guests too long, but uh, I want you to just share with us some of what you. Uh, share with your uh, constituents uh, when it comes to your vision for the future of the CBC. Uh, As you mentioned, and we should reiterate, uh, after the 28th of February, we think we're going to have 58 Congressional Black Caucus members. This is our 51st year got started with 13 Congress people, uh, only one of which was a woman. Today, we're waiting on another woman to join us on the 28th. This caucus uh, has done great work. It has grown uh, tremendously. And you have laid out a vision. I read it. Uh, and I want you to just share with my listeners what your vision is. Uh, for the Congressional Black Caucus
1: going forward? Well, Mr. Clyburn, our, our vision for the CBC is, is the vision of its members. And first and foremost, it's about winning for our constituents and our districts every single day uh, between now and next November, 2024. So we can win back the gavels, win back the majority, help uh, make Hakeem Jeffries the next speaker of the House of Representatives so that we can move an agenda forward that's really focused on the American people and especially Black America. Um, We've talked about a lot of things today. Some of them were based on the historic legislative achievements in the last two years in partnership with President Biden, pushed by the Congressional Black Caucus, which was uniquely positioned to help, for example, get the bipartisan infrastructure and investment bill done the CHIPS and Science Bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, the American Rescue Plan, which is still paying dividends, uh, the the Bipartisan Safer Communities Bill, and so much more, the PACT Act for our veterans. But we have to be intentional about ensuring that the implementation of those bills actually have impact, positive impact, in Black communities. Why? Because we've been historically and disproportionately left out in the past. And that is why we are now working through the Congressional Black Caucus with the administration to make sure that the jobs, the contracting and the community impact, whether it's for infrastructure or for manufacturing or for climate provisions, actually reach the communities who need them the most. Now, this takes a lot of work It takes coordination. It takes information sharing. But what's so great about the CBC is we've got the experts. We've got six members of our uh, caucus that are what we call ranking members. They should be chairmen in the majority or chairwomen. Um, They are policy experts in their own right. Many of our members come out of local and state government and have experience about how these programs affect real people. And so we're just using the the ingenuity, the experience, the education of our members to make sure that we win, that we win for our constituents, we win um, in our districts, we win the week, we win the month, we win the year, and then we win uh, for the American people. And that is the vision for the Congressional Black Caucus Now we have a couple of key initiatives around racial equity and justice, around helping Black men and women around healthcare. We have a focus around uh, wealth creation and uh, small business and entrepreneurship because more and more Black-owned businesses are being started now more than ever before. So we are working through those initiatives to make sure that we um, are aligned, but I am so honored to be able to lead the Congressional Black Caucus. It's our 51st year. We were established in 1971 by 13 founders. And now today, 51 years later, we have 57, soon to be 58 members, and we're charting a course for the next 50 years. And it's leaders like you, Mr. Clyburn, um, who have helped people like me. And I would be remiss if I did not end my portion by saying thank you for your service. Not only have you helped elect presidents um, and Joe Biden most recently, but you've helped elect a lot of strong leaders, myself included. And I wanna say thank you for what you've done, not only for the people of South Carolina, but the leadership that you provide uh, to all of us in the House of Representatives and all around this country. We, We really do value and respect your contributions. Well, thank you very much for that. Thank
0: you so much, once again, uh, for being here with me today and for your service. You made me think of something uh, as you were uh, making your closing comments. Today, when I was standing with the governor uh, at this press conference dealing with the broadband, uh, the governor's reception receptionist uh, was standing off to the side, And as I got ready to leave, she came over to me and says, I need to whisper something to you. Now, as you know, uh, I'm a strong Democrat. The governor's a very strong Republican. So his receptionist whispered to me uh, that she heard me talking about student loan debt forgiveness on the Clyburn Chronicles. She said, I listened to the whole thing. And I just want you to know, I followed your advice. And I got my loan and my daughter's loan forgiven. I just got the letter last week. And as she walked away, I stopped her. I says, now, you're telling me that you combined your loan. And she had owed money long enough. That she borrowed money for her daughter mm. to go to school. Fair,
1: fair
0: she combined both those loans. And asked her, how much was that? She looked at me and smiled and says, I hate to tell you, it was $123,000 that she and her daughter owed. But because of what Joe Biden did with debt forgiveness, She got her letter last week, eliminating the entire $123,000. That's the kind of work you've been presiding over as chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. And that is the kind of work we will continue to do uh, going forward. So let me thank you uh, for being here today. Thank you for the contributions you make to this great country. Thank you for being my friend.
1: My honor, Mr. Clyburn. Thanks for having me on.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to another edition of Clyburn Chronicles. Thank you for listening to this episode of Clyburn Chronicles. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know by leaving a comment. And don't forget to subscribe to my show wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Until next time, I'm Congressman Jim Clyburn.